Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the Riptide. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Greetings, greetings. Oh, all right, we're back. Having fun. Lots of fun. Always. <laughs> you have fun plans for the holidays this year, John? Uh, yeah, and actually, it's more like just plans for relaxation. Mm-hmm. Um, given all the travel that I've done this year, it's, it's a luxury to look for like, you know, three, four weeks of not going anywhere. Just, oh, I know what you mean. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's it's been a great year. I'm, I am looking forward to the next one. But uh, yeah, I'm enjoy the holidays very much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. How about you, uh, Porno Steve? You gonna be uh, you be brewing? You brew over the holidays? No. 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 Nah. I'm going. I'm going up north. My parents just hanging out, doing a lot of nothing. North. Yeah. That, that's not really north it's, it's northeast it's mainly are you talking ukiah or what <laughs> no elk grove like sacramento <laughs> yeah it's north for me <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know um and how you loving your your blickman uh, brew easy i love it it's great yeah. i got a cool system kind of right. finally figured out right well <laughs> and how do you feel that is compared to where you'd be if you were cobbling together your own out of uh, buckets and pots and yeah? So I've kind of partnered with someone who I work with, um, who brews exactly that with like mm-hmm. this wooden contraption that he made <laughs> that he a, with stands that he has to carry yeah. and put things on yeah. top of him. I'm like, why are you doing that? <laughs> have to carry all that stuff right right full of water and you like, only I just, need I to, just turn these valves you need to <laughs> crawl up on your roof open the skylight hang a hose that's all i gotta do right. <laughs> that's it <laughs> which has nothing to do with the brew easy it's just uh no 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 it's easy it's easy that's why they call it the brew easy mm-hmm. uh, and you can get a brew easy brew easy uh at many fine uh homebrew shops uh around the around the world and uh, it's a supplier that happens to be the sponsor of this show, which is uh, Blickman Engineering. And you can check them out at BlickmanEngineering.com. The owner, John Blickman, uh, is a big fan of what uh, we do on this show. Uh, that goes, you know, maybe maybe he was dropped on his head as a kid. I don't know why, but he, he likes it. And um, he's been sponsoring it uh, pretty much since the beginning. And because of that, you don't have to pay for the show. And if you appreciate that... All you got to do is send him an email at feedback at blickmanengineering.com. Just tell him 
thank you for sponsoring the show because um, if he didn't, I don't know what we'd do. John and I would be turning tricks on the street. It's <laughs> it's not pretty. We'd not be giving bad. advice to it's random strangers. Yeah. Yeah. We'd be out on the we'd be out on the street corner giving advice to people about brewing. Yeah. Like, hey, bring advice, bring advice. They'd be like, no, man, no. Here, here's money. Go Why wash. Here yourself. you go. <laughs> Why don't you get a real job? Yeah. You know, they would they would be unkind to us. Is what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah. They would not appreciate our brewing knowledge, mm-hmm. like uh, y'all listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I can just picture it. John yeah. And I, yeah. Yeah. Hey, man, you want a free beer? <laughs> you want a free beer? That's a free brewing knowledge? You want some of my yeast? Come on. <laughs> got a bunch of different kinds. Let me give you my yeast. You got like the, the trench coat with the vials of yeast <laughs> right. in your jacket. No clothes on underneath. <laughs> yeah, that, that I can see myself doing. Mm. Um, well, and speaking of uh, great brew equipment, uh, this episode is going to be dedicated to. Um, the everything kettles, I think. I think it's a Q&A about kettles. So when you oh, send in your okay. questions, you can submit your questions to uh, brewstrong at thebrewingnetwork.com and uh, you send in your questions and try and keep it to one question per email. It's much easier for us to handle that way. And uh, we'll get them on the show uh, sooner or later. We've We've actually... Trim down the backlog considerably. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll get them all on the air uh, one point or another. We try and group them into categories so you can uh, easily browse and find those things later on. But that's all you got to do. Email them to us. We won't respond directly, but uh, we will get them on the show. All right. Uh, let's uh, tackle our first question. All right. <clears throat> This is about a stained kettle. I have a 15-gallon SS kettle, sadly made in China. Been brewing in it for six years. Use OxyClean to clean vinegar for beer stone, but have built up a brownish stain on walls. Can this be taken off down to good SS? Any aggressive pad I can use? SS wool? Uh, yeah, no, not, not stainless steel, steel wool. That won't. That's not a good idea. Um, you let's see. Yeah, beer stone. You need you need a uh, an acid um, nitric phosphoric. Yeah, nitric phosphoric blend. I mean, and you can you can get that if you're a commercial brewer at the homebrew level. It's harder to find. Um, citric acid will. Uh, start taking that down somewhat um but hydrochloric acid also will work and that's swimming pool acid muriatic acid you can get that at the pool supply mm-hmm. store um be sure to wear gloves because that's it's a, it's a strong acid it's like 30 percent 35 percent so it will give you burns if you get it on your skin directly but um to wear goggles you, yeah wear, wear full or, ppe yeah. you know uh, goggles, glove, rubber gloves, um, apron if you got it. Um, but if you if you put some of that in there and swirl it around, that'll start dissolving the beer stone for you. And uh, then rinse and follow it up with uh, 
um, you know, scotch bright, scrubby or something to help a uh, little mechanical action to get it off the walls. Well, and it, it sounded like um, he was talking about a brown tint and not any sort of uh, rough surface material. Oh, Generally, okay. stone, you can kind of feel it or you can, yeah. there's kind of an edge to some parts of it. Um, I'm wondering if that's just discoloration from heat or something else. Yeah. Kind of like tea stains or something. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's also an oxalate type Mm. uh, stain. But Mm. uh, um, if it's just a surface stain, then um, a a kitchenware cleanser like um, Barkeeper's Friend or Revereware or clean kangaroo, you know, any of these stainless steel kitchen cleansers will take that stain off. Um, If the cleanser doesn't take the stain off and it feels rough, then that's beer stone and you need the acid Mm -hmm. to uh, get rid of it. And if it's protein, then PBW eventually get it in the right concentrations and and temperatures. Um, And I, I wanted to comment on one other thing. He said, unfortunately, it's made in China. It's like, well, now... Not everyone can afford every piece of equipment, and so uh, you know there's there's good stuff made in China and there's bad stuff made in China. Just just came from China doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. I mean we, we can talk about the you right. know, global implications of that and the the effect on the economies of many countries from that. But as far as the actual equipment goes, they are capable of making you know great equipment. They are capable yeah. of making horrible equipment. It just depends on you know essentially how much you pay for it. So a lot of times people equate China with cheap, and I'm just saying you can get good equipment from China and sometimes. The amount you're going to pay for really good equipment is not so different from what you're going to pay for equipment uh, that's made uh, more locally or, you know, sourced through a local company that is ensuring the quality of the product. And so sometimes uh, companies will have their products made in China. And you're wondering why that they're, they're more expensive, even though it was made in China. It's because... They're guaranteeing the quality for you. They're ensuring that the company that's making it is making it high quality. Um, again, yeah, you can buy good stuff, cheap stuff. Um, if it's a cheap thing made in China, yeah, absolutely. Uh, sorry about that. But uh, I just want to point out that eh, it's more complicated than, you know, yeah, oh, it's made in China or it's bad. made in the USA. You know, um, not necessarily the worst thing in the world. All right, uh, let's take a short break. When we come back, we will have more of your questions right after this. Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all grain brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high-temperature March pump, and either a top-tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20 gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your Brew Easy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman kettle cart. The Brew Easy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your Brew Easy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new Brew Easy all grain brew 
brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new Brew Easy. Since the first time the Brewing Network microphones turned on, more beer was behind it. More Beer sponsors the programming on the BN because, like you, they love brewing. And like the Brewing Network, they love sharing their knowledge. MoreBeer.com isn't just a website to place your next equipment or ingredient order. MoreBeer.com also gives you access to free beer information that will make you a better brewer. Go to MoreBeer.com and click into the Learning Center. You'll find podcasts, technical facts, video tutorials, and more, including access to The Buzz, More Beer's social network of more than 5,000 members. And some of them might even be crazier about beer than you are. Get over to morebeer.com today and take advantage of the buzz, the forum, the learning center, and make sure you're signed up to receive the newest More Beer catalog. More Beer, bringing you absolutely everything for beer making. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Check out their brand new patent-pending mash and boil 110-volt electric mashing and boiling unit. This compact all-stainless unit lets you mash, sparge, and boil just about anywhere that has a 110-volt plug. Double-wall construction adds to efficiency and safety, and a precise thermostat keeps temperatures where you want them. Unlike insulated buckets and converted coolers, multiple temperatures Temperature rest mashing is easy to do, all for under 300 bucks. They also feature the Mark II Work Pump, a magnetic drive high temperature pump that does the work of pumps that cost twice as much, as well as exclusive Brewer's Edge regulators and quality Keg King kegs and disconnects. Check them out today at williamsbrewing.com to bruise their vast selection. Do you know the three most important rules in brewing? Sanitation, sanitation, and sanitation. And no one does it better than Five Star Chemicals. Five Star knows sanitation. You can only sanitize clean equipment. And Five Star knows how to clean, too. For craft brewers and home brewers, Five Star has what you need to keep your fermenters, serving tanks, kegs and draft lines sparkling and free of any beer-spoiling bacteria. PBW, caustic, acid cleaners, star sand. Santa Clean, lubricants and defoamers, pH stabilizers, and more. Five Star Chemicals has cleaning supplies, safety supplies, heat exchangers, pumps, hoses, and valves. And Five Star is proud to offer eco-friendly products that exceed customer expectations. If you have a cleaning problem, you need the Five Star solution. Visit fivestarchemicals.com or call 800-782-7019. 800-782-7019. And get the Five star treatment today back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys brew strong all right we're back we're answering your questions all related to kettles yeah and the next question is oh <laughs> Uh, boil kettle volume recommendation. Yes. I'm an extract brewer, brewing mostly IPAs and double IPAs. Uh, I boil outside over a turkey fryer type propane burner. I plan to purchase a larger kettle and would like your recommendation on what size to get. Uh, I want to be able to do a full wort boil of a five gallon batch with little or no chance of boilovers. Boilovers have been a particular problem for me since the beers I brew require mid to late boil. Uh, additions of hops, extracts, and sugars, 
And because I insert an immersion chiller made from 50 feet, not 50, yeah, 50 feet of um, 3 eighths three inch eighths. Yeah, <laughs> copper tubing for the last 15 to 20 minutes of the boil and sometimes make additions after that. Finally, I want enough capacity in the kettle that I'll be able to stir the wort vigorously to start a whirlpool immediately after knockout and not have to worry too much about splashing myself with hot wort. So here are my questions. One, what is the minimum size kettle you would recommend to mostly eliminate boilovers? What is the minimum size kettle you would recommend to make boilovers a virtual impossibility? Barring some extreme stupidity on my part. Three, is there such a thing as too large a kettle? And if so, how does that affect the resulting beer and how large is too large? If I wanted to plan ahead for a time when I might do 10 gallon batches, what would be your recommendation for kettle size? Mm. Yeah, I think 10, you... 15, 20, and 20, those are the answers. Right, right. I think, <laughs> I think that um, the minimum you can really get away with is about 8 gallons. Yeah. Uh, an 8-gallon pot, you know, there's enamel canning pots that are pretty cheap. That aluminum um, stock pots, aluminum as well. stock pots yeah. in that in that size, and um, uh, eight gallons is pretty good. Um, the, I've the, had like boilovers though in those, but yeah, I like the the canning ones because they're a little wider. More important than you know the over well, as important as the overall volume is the ratio. If it's really tall and skinny, um, that can be an issue. If it's really wide and flat, that can be an issue. So, right. as long as your ratio, you don't want to. If you're doing a um, uh, ten gallon batch, you're going to need you know about fifteen gallons uh, of space, and um, and some headroom on top of that. Yeah, you know, you shouldn't be evaporating a whole shit ton of uh, liquid because um, you're adding thermal stress. People overboil their wort. Um, you just need, you know, a rolling boil. You just need activity. You need a churning of the of the liquid. You don't need it leaping out. You just need it rolling. And um, uh, so heating it past that point doesn't do you any good um that can harm the beer uh, so you know i did i did 10 gallon batches in a 14 gallon pot um yeah it was kind of pushing it especially if i wanted a longer boil time um 90 minute boils but if you're doing 60 minute boils you know and if you're if you're working with extract and you plan on sticking with extract you can you can get away with a, a 15 gallon pot pretty easy i think um, and that tends to be a common size as well um, just avoid a really wide one where five gallons will be like nothing in the bottom um, right now was his original batch size five or ten gallons five um, i was thinking yeah, maybe okay. going to ten later yeah so yeah 10 gallon pot is kind of like a minimum um, or eight, actually, as you say, mm-hmm. ten. Where ten is a little better. I, I, a fifteen-gallon size, I think, works well if you're all grain brewing because often you're doing like you're collecting like seven gallons of wort, um, and seven gallons in a fifteen-gallon kettle is no problem at all for boilovers. Mm-hmm. It stays inside, um, and but it's not, right. it's not too wide, too shallow. Well, again. It depends on the ratio because, you know, you want to look at the pot and say to yourself, okay, my immersion chiller is yay high. 
Um, if I right. fill up this pot with five gallons, is my immersion chiller mostly going to be out of the word, <laughs> or is yeah. it going to be at least you know mostly submerged so that you know it, it has the desired effect? So yeah. that's that's one of the things. And and keep in mind too, um, if your immersion chiller, if the uh, the legs on it to the coil are not uh, long enough. Uh, for the pot, you're going to need to adjust it somehow or prop it up somehow or hang it or whatever you're doing um, on the side of the kettle. So usually those legs are made long enough for certain pots, but not every pot, if you know what I mean. So that's another factor. And a five-gallon batch and a 20-gallon pot's going to be completely lost. Mm. Right. Yeah. And it pretty much stops you from making five-gallon batches. Yeah. So keep that in mind. and. In my opinion, you never want to lose the ability to make five-gallon batches because that's the sweet spot. That's where it's enough beer to, to drink and enjoy and share with friends and have parties. Um, but and not still have it left over a year later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you go through it fast enough that you can keep brewing and doing different things and learning and enjoying brewing. All right. Uh, next question. Right, this one's about splitting a batch into two kettles. Uh, in the winter when it's below zero in my garage, I like to brew indoors. My eight-gallon stainless steel kettle does not fit on the stove because it is too tall. I rectify this by brewing in two separate kettles. I have an inductive cooktop that I set on the kitchen table. I can do a mini mash in that kettle because it holds a temperature exactly. It's about three and a half gallons to the rim. I usually do about two gallons of work. On the stove, I can do about four gallons without risking a boil over. The four-gallon batch is usually LME or DME. I get it boiling, and I add my aroma hops. I only do a 15-minute boil. Um, the word on the kitchen table, I boil for a full hour after mashing. My bittering hops boil for the full 60 minutes. Then when they are both done, I dump them into the pre-chilled uh, 5 degrees today. Large kettle in the garage, and the ambient temp brings it down to 70 degrees in about three hours. My question is, am I losing anything or missing something by not having these two batches cooked together, or is there some adjustment you think I would need to be super aware of? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Yeah. I got, I think I got lost track of exactly which volumes and are done where. Right. I mean, the point being, he's doing about three or something like that in a mini mash and then he boils that for a full hour after the mash and then he's doing you know three or four on the stove using uh, malt extract and he boils that only for 15 minutes and then he combines the two in the fermenter in the garage where it's cold and it drops down to like 70 degrees in three hours so he's getting roughly 50 50 maybe um throughout through the two um, the hop, it sounded like the hops were only going in the LME one or the, the malt extract one. Oh yeah. Uh, Steve, is that correct? Look at that section of the question again. Which part? Where the hops are boiled. Uh, four gallon batch at aroma hops. 15 uh, minutes. 15 minute boil. Yeah. Bittering oh. hops boil for a full sixty minutes. Oh, so the, so he's doing his bittering hops in the in the mash mm-hmm. one, yeah. and he's doing his aroma hops in the LME one. Mm-hmm. I, I I think 
the only problem you're really going to experience is that any calculations you make that you're going to try and apply later to a full-scale boil with everything at once are probably going to be off because the bittering is not going to be the same boiled in a smaller amount of liquid versus a larger amount of liquid. And same thing for the the late addition hops. That will also affect mainly, mainly bittering. Um, and so I think those are that's probably the only problem you're going to have. It could affect maybe your um, your break material and the quantity of break material you're getting out, and it may affect something like clarity. Um, I think that you know those things you might experience. But other than that, I think yeah, it's probably fine. Yeah, in general, it sounds good to me too. Um, the one one concern I'd have is his boil gravities. Mm. Um, you know, if if you're if the LME boil on the stove, if one's really uh, high, and yeah. one's really low, right, right, right. That's the only other concern I think. Right, because then you know when you when you boil high gravity, you, you know it, it affects you know again the break material, the proteins, a lot of things, um, flavors, yeah, flavors, head retention, stuff like that can mm. can all possibly be affected. I think so, or just not be quite the style kind of thing. I mean, right, or you know, yeah. and again, I, I remember this question. Maybe he was saying that you know when it's nice out, he's brewing in the garage and he does full work boils something like that um when it's deadly cold out he goes inside <laughs> yeah and so yeah. trying to replicate a beer um in a full wort boil is going to be more difficult than you know just adding them together i think y- you should expect a slight difference maybe not huge but you'll you'll experience a difference between the two right right I'll tell you one thing that will help with uh, however you're preparing your wort is using a quality yeast. And our friends at White Labs, they got uh, some of the best. They've got pure liquid yeast, and pure liquid yeast means better beers. While White Labs boasts the highest concentration of yeast in the industry, thanks to their patented flex cell technology and pure pitch packaging. The yeast contained and delivered using these innovations are propagated in all grain wort, providing the perfect nutrients for growth and optimal performance. With White Labs Pure Liquid Yeast, your finished beers will meet the high-quality flavor profiles that you intend to produce. Discover the White Labs difference. Visit whitelabs.com slash yeastbank to find the perfect strain for your next beer. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll have more of your questions right after this. Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all grain brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high temperature March pump, and either a top tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack 
stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20-gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your BrewEasy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman Kettle Cart. The BrewEasy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your BrewEasy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new BrewEasy all-grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new Brew Easy. If you work in retail sales, the restaurant industry, or are a new craft beer enthusiast, or you know someone who is, you have got to check out Beer 101. Beer 101 is an online course created for anyone wanting a quick introduction to the vast world of craft beer. Beer 101 covers the history of beer, brewing ingredients and processes, vital stats like ABV, SRM, IBU and gravity, styles, tasting, glassware, and pairing beer with food. The Beer 101 course is offered by the Brewers Association at craftbeer.com, also home to the truly awesome Beer Style Finder, a visual guide to every beer style. Quickly play with color, bitterness, and alcohol content to interactively explore the entire world of beer styles with a gorgeously designed interface to your favorite beverage. The new Beer 101 course and new Beer Style Finder are only available at craftbeer.com. Craftbeer.com, celebrating the best of American beer. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters, this is Jamel Zanishef, and I want to tell you about Heretic Evil Twin. You might be familiar with my homebrew recipe, which uses massive late hopping to create a balance between the malty sweet and the hoppy bitter, along with an outrageous malt and hop character. I wanted a beer with the same bold hop and malt character, so we played around with the homebrew recipe until we are able to make a great commercial version, too. We've created a beer rich in malt character, full of caramel, toast, biscuit, and an ever-so-subtle roast note. On top of that, we piled in an insane amount of citra and Columbus hops at the end of the boil, as well as in dry hopping. This damn-the-cost approach to hopping gives Heretic's Evil Twin a great blast of citrus and tropical fruit that can't be matched by any other hop. The result is a bold, malty, hoppy, but easy-drinking beer. This is our top seller, our flagship beer, and I couldn't be prouder of it. Cheers. To find Heretic Beers near you, click on Find Some at hereticbrewing.com. First Amendment. Watch out! Do you like beer? They make beer. Watch out! Do you like friends and fun? They make friends and fun. Watch out! Do you still like to have a good time? The 21st Amendment. Watch out! The 21st Amendment in San Francisco, located at 563 2nd Street, two blocks from the building where baseball is seen and played. Try their beers in the pub or try them in the can. Featuring... Monk's Blood. Made with real monk. Watch out! So why not have the best time of your life? Go to the 21A and Sean O'Sullivan will personally greet you with a can of... Monk's Blood. The 21st Amendment. Watch out! This advertisement is not in any way affiliated nor associated with the 21st Amendment Bar and Pub, nor its subsidiaries or affiliates. This telecast is not copywritten by the 21st Amendment for the private use of the Brewing Network. Any use of this telecast without Jamil Zanishev's consent is prohibited. Saka JP. Are you a member of the White Labs Customer Club? If not, you should be. It's the easiest way to earn free stuff for turning in your old homebrew labels from either vials or pure pitch. All you have to do is save your labels and redeem them for things like free yeast 
an exclusive White Labs t-shirt or sweatshirt, and even the opportunity to brew with the yeast man himself, Chris White. Signing up is easy. Just go to whitelabs.com slash customer club, fill out the registration form, and then mail in your labels. They will return the favor by sending you awesome White Labs swag. Go sign up today at whitelabs.com slash customer club. White Labs, pure yeast and fermentation since 1995. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. Apparently, uh, Porno Steve is going to be in Spain and, and to teach people how to homebrew like si. he does. See, si. <laughs> si. si. Working on my Espanol. Yeah, Espanol. Espanol. It's going to be in Barcelona. Barcelona. There you go. All right. Uh, all right. Um, we're answering uh, questions. Uh, oh, I wanted to mention the AHA member deal going on right now. It's going on until the oh, end yeah, it's of a good the one. year. And uh, you still got time to get in there. You can go to the uh, Brewing Network uh, website. There is a Join Now button for the AHA. Uh, you click on that. You use the offer code BN2018, as in uh, Brewing Network 2018. And uh, when you purchase a membership, you're going to get a free book. The Brewing Network gets a small slice of uh, your, your membership fee that helps support the Brewing Network. And uh, you get to choose from uh, Wild Brews, Farmhouse Sales, and Brewing Classic Styles. Any one of those uh, to add to your brew library. And, you know, AHA is a great uh, a great organization supporting home brewers, uh, looking out for home brewers' rights, and uh, providing a lot of great uh, uh, value for your membership. You know, the, the AHA discount, which will save you a ton of money if you if you like to drink and eat, it'll save you a bunch of money. If you like to homebrew, it'll save you money. You get the Zymergy magazine. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, just an all-around great deal, and uh, you should sign up for it. And the free book pretty much you know, covers like half of you, the, the uh, membership fee right there. So uh, oh, take yeah. advantage of it on the brewingnetwork.com site. Click that uh, Join Now and uh, use the offer code BN2018. Uh, let's see here. Uh, another question. All right. This is about kettles again. Weird. It's like yeah, there's a theme. Right. It's, it's weird. They all wrote in about kettles at the same in. time. Yeah. Oh, weird. Um, it's about stainless versus aluminum. Um, hey guys, love the show. What I have been experiencing lately is beers that have a strange high amount of bitterness. Very sharp. Did some research and read about mash pH and high temperatures could extract unwanted flavors from the grain. I bought a new digital thermometer. I was mashing at probably 180. <laughs> um, old in accurate thermos. Now I keep it to 155. Uh, recircling the mash with a pump. pH is around 5 using test strips. The only thing I can now single out are my kettles. I have a 10-gallon hot liquor tank. Mash ton, boil kettle, all aluminum. Should I upgrade to stainless? Just didn't want to drop 600 bucks on stainless steel if I don't need to. Um, I feel as the beer conditions in the keg, the bitterness either goes away or my palate is adjusting to the flavor. Keg transfer happens around week three. So he hmm. thinks that there's bitterness coming from aluminum? Is that what he's saying? That's yeah. what he seems to think, yeah. 
And then he says that bitterness goes away after a period of time in the keg. I think he's... As it conditions or his palate is adjusting to the flavor. Most likely has a lot of other issues. I doubt it's it's the kettles. Like with his palate. I've I've had beers made on aluminum kettles and they tasted just fine. You wouldn't have guessed it was on aluminum kettle or... Yeah. um, That That should not be a factor. Yeah. I mean, I suppose if you were storing your, like your mash liquor in the kettle and you, you know, it was acidic or something, maybe that could, you know, start affecting the kettle, but you would see that. I mean, if you see yeah, like, see you know, big black, you know, mark in your, in your aluminum kettle or something like that, you know, maybe... It would, it would it would taste metallic first right. before bitter. before it tasted bitter. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't. But think you'd that forget is. from the Alzheimer's you picked up, you know. And so it's <laughs> yeah. a, it's a you know it's, it's a fifty fifty. It's win win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're a bitter old man now. Um, um, yeah, it's more likely a, a fermentation issue. I mean, almost always it's a fermentation issue. Or it could be his water's changing throughout the year, and it's becoming you know much more uh, alkaline. Or yeah, yeah. So the pH is around five. Well, that's I think that's his mash, which is where it should be. But mm-hmm. test strips are really not very accurate. Um, so I, I take that measurement with a grain of salt. Um, it's uh, yeah, test strips are not are not a really good measurement system. Uh, you need a meter, but it could be pH. It could be temperature. Certainly, his you know if he thought he was mashing at 180 before, that's that's a clear problem. Right. Um, although that would denatured all of his enzymes. Um, right. I'm not sure how how that worked. Yeah. Because if you're mashing at 180, you're not mashing. You're just making starch liquid. Yeah. Hmm. I get the short answer to his question is I don't I don't think it's his kettles those those should be fine don't don't spend the money on the kettles spend the money on focus more on your fermentation uh, sanitation um, temperature control that's that's where where beer is really made yeah and And if he's losing flavor in the keg then you know try try to purge the headspace in the keg before you carbonate because right, right. that could be oxidation. oxidation yeah that's a good point all right uh, another question this one's about brew length scaling mm. i as a home brewer have won some major trophies for my beers and national comps in australia and would like to take these recipes commercial we have a Herms mash ton system and a 12HI electric 72 kilowatts brew length kettle. HL, hectoliter. HL. Um, so can you give me advice on how to scale up these recipes? I expect to get better hop utilization in the kettle, but how much? Would 3% better utilization be enough to start? What did you achieve? Is there any other consideration given with scaling of specialty malts? So the more I've done this, the less I think the the common wisdom from homebrew 
lore in the past was all about, oh, you know, it's different because you're scaling it. And, it, you know, I, I think if you maintain the same boil um, and your kettle ratios are the same, um, it's it's simple math. Um, it's not like all of a sudden um, the, you know, the rules of, of math and physics go out the, out the window. Um, everything does scale directly. The, the reason why you experience the, these changes in recipe when, when you do scale up to commercial, if you've done a small batch at home and then you win a, a uh, you know a brew day at a at a brewery or something, and you get to brew your beer there. The reason the beer turns out different is is a few things. One is uh, a lot of times homebrewers um, are not getting a good rolling boil and exchanging the 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 liquid throughout and tumbling the the liquid um, in their kettle. Uh, other times um, uh, they're not getting a good extract, so they're not crushing their malt properly, or you know where they're getting it crushed is not crushing it properly, and so their extract uh, amount is going to change, and that applies also to your specialty grains and the amount that you know you extract out of those, and so that tends to throw it off, and then um, also you know the quality of fermentation uh, a lot of times that or in the scale of the fermenters uh, if you're going to a real tall tank um, that will impact the behavior of the yeast and the results from the yeast but also you tend to get uh, better fermentation a drier finish now uh, there are some real experienced home brewers that are doing amazing jobs on the homebrew scale and i think that their recipes will probably transfer quite well to the commercial uh, arena still with some of those caveats things to look out for but i don't think it is you know there's no weird magic uh as to how to scale i think it's it can be very direct but i will caution you this if you think that the most important thing about going commercial is being able to use your homebrew recipes then you're probably going to fail as a commercial brewer because that is about the least important aspect of commercial brewing. And the most important aspect is being able to, you know, properly sanitize and um, which can be very difficult on a large scale. It's not just splashing around some chemicals, you know, properly cleaning, uh, properly pitching yeast, the proper amounts, healthy yeast, maintaining a healthy pitch. Um, uh, properly packaging without, uh, you know, oxidizing your beer, contaminating your beer, all oh, that, yeah, that one's huge. you know, and uh, all that is far more important than the recipe you started with. Um, you know, if, if, if you're thinking your recipes are going to gain you, you know, uh, great results and great followers and, you know, huge commercial success, everybody's got great recipes. You know, and the, uh, that's that's not going to do it. You know, um, unless you found some magical, you know, special ingredient that nobody knows about. <laughs> Everybody, whatever recipe you have, somebody else is brewing essentially the same recipe somewhere else, and the you know a quarter of a percent of whatever malt that is in there different is not 
really making the difference. It's all about the actual brewing process that that makes the success there. Was that too cold and brutal? A hard I, slap of reality? No, that's I think it was good slap. <laughs> as long as there's information in there that can be used. Right. But I think me as hard going, as the question of hop utilization. Did I throw in a no offense taken? You know, because then it's okay. You can say whatever you want. Yeah. But, I mean, hop utilization does increase a fair amount going from homebrew to, to commercial. Yeah. I... I uh, again, I don't think so because the act of boiling is exactly the same. If the if the um, specific gravity is the same, the everything else is the same. It there's no difference. It really doesn't change uh, utilization. Have you scaled up any of your homebrew recipes? Yeah, yeah. at her trick. Yep, then it was pretty direct. Yep. Um, there's there's really no no difference between it because you know you could do it in a in a in a cup you could do it in a in a swimming pool if the the vigor of the boil is the same um and your your kettle ratios are the same it's going to be the same ibus you know if everything else being being the same uh larger does not change hop utilization surface volume doesn't surface surface to volume it, it can um you know based on yeah. i mean i i you but, know i'm I granted i have never directly addressed this problem myself mm-hmm. but in, in collaboration brews and other people i've talked with mm-hmm. it seems like you know hop utilization like, is 35 yeah. percent versus 30 percent for home again that's you know um a popular misconception because okay. i mean and you're you're a science man you know, think about yeah. you know the the physics of what's going on and there's it doesn't matter if it's larger or smaller if if the temperature and the motion are all the same and the ingredients are the same and the gravity is the same the ph is the same what tends to happen is um you know the whatever brewery has different water or it's uh you know they uh, get a lower ph at, at a certain point or again better attenuation in the fermentation and so yeah. and so you're Almost never checking the IBU content of the the homebrew wort versus the the, the commercial wort. You know, you're you're just waiting to the end and saying, "Oh, it tastes more bitter." Well, yeah, it's probably the same IBUs, or it could be it could be less IBUs or more IBUs based on the uh, how the yeast performed and how fermentation was and all these other factors. Okay. What I'm saying is the the actual physics of Boiling hops and extracting isoalpha acids. Um, I, I think there's no difference between those two. See my okay. argument? Okay. Yeah. But I think I think there are other factors that do affect that. I, I'm just saying it's not the size of the kettle. It's not the size of the batch. It's other factors. So I think you can scale up your recipe directly. And then you need to make any adjustments based on, ah, uh, you know, your mash efficiency is better at homebrew or better at the, the commercial brew size, right? Yeah. 
that would affect it. Uh, your mm-hmm. attenuation, you, you know, the amount of oxygen you're giving it, you've given it zinc, you've given all this stuff, oh, your fermentation's going to go better in the commercial brewery. Uh, so it's probably going to end up a little drier, so you need to account for that. So those are the things you need to account for, but not okay. scaling the recipe. I mean, I used to think you had to scale the recipe uh, that way. But um, doing uh, the uh, side-by-side, uh, uh, can, you, can you brew it? The clone brews. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I ended up just scaling them down pretty much exactly uh, and trying to get people to match the way they were brewing versus. What do you mean, pretty much exactly? Well, I mean, sometimes it's, just, it's difficult. Um, but, you know, because you're talking about, you know, like hundreds of a gram and stupid measurements yeah. like that. So. You yeah. round off a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the most important thing was getting them to brew like whatever brewery you were cloning. That was mm. more important. And fermentation and the, 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 the source of the ingredients. So it's not enough to say, oh, I'm using a Crystal 40. Well, you're using an American Crystal 40, using a British Crystal 40, using a German Crystal 40. What Crystal 40 are you using? Uh, if you're using a British one, which monster are you using? Even you know year to year, all that changes and it has a, a huge impact on the flavor of the beer. And something like that, uh, using a, a British crystal versus an American crystal, the British one's going to taste less bitter. You know, no matter it, it, same IBUs in both, you swap those two two out, it's, it's going to appear to be less bitter. And all you did was change the source of the crystal malt. So. All these other factors are more important. I, I really believe mm-hmm. recipes scale up directly now. I, I truly believe that. And it's these other factors that we're, we're saying are because we scaled up. It's like, well, no. That's, that's not the, how the physics of it work. Huh. Very go. good. Uh, let me tell you about Grokdag. Once you make your, your great uh, homebrew... And you've you've got your award-winning homebrew. I would say that you want to put great labels on it. Or you know, if you're making your own little man cave bar, you want to uh, put up some signage, have some coasters, things like that. Well, you can get it all at Grog Tag. Grog Tag's your one line or your online homebrew customization shop. They have it all from reusable beer and wine labels to durable metal signs to high-quality coasters, and everything is customizable. So get creative over on grogtag.com with one of our hundreds of templates. It will print it on high-quality materials and ship it out to you. It's easy. Check out grogtag.com today. Use the offer code BNARMY to save 10% on your next order. That's grogtag.com, and use the offer code BNARMY to save yourself 10%. Check it out. All right, let's take a short break, and we'll wrap up with uh, one last question after this. Brewing great beer is a process of continuous learning, and the best books on every aspect of brewing can be found at Brewers Publications with more than 50 awesome titles like Modern Homebrew Recipes by Gordon Strong, Designing Great Beers, The Ultimate Guide to Brewing Classic Beer Styles by Ray Daniels, American Sour Beers, Innovative Techniques for Mixed Fermentations by Michael Tonsmeyer, For the Love of Hops, The Practical Guide to Aroma, Bitterness, and the Culture of Hops by Stan Hieronymus, and Radical Brewing, 
Recipes, Tales, and World-Altering Meditations in a Glass by Randy Mosher, plus many, many more. These are the books and the authors with the knowledge to push your brewing farther than you thought possible. And you'll find them all at fine homebrew and book retailers everywhere. And visit the website at BrewersPublications.com. Brewers Publications, all the best on beer and brewing. Your support of the Brewing Network means everything to us. We couldn't produce shows without you. And we love giving you something extra for that support, like Brew Your Own Magazine. You already know it's a great brewing magazine full of recipes, equipment how-tos, discussions of beer styles, and brewing techniques. Whether you're new to brewing and just starting out or you're an old pro, you'll always learn something from the articles in Brew Your Own. Plus, there are amazing special issues like plans for building a brew. 10 system, 250 classic clone recipes, and the Home Brewer's Answer Book. Brew Your Own Magazine and BYO.com are awesome resources for any brewer, whether for yourself or as a gift. When you subscribe or resubscribe from the Brewing Network homepage, you directly support programs like this. Get a great magazine and support the Brewing Network. Subscribe to Brew Your Own right from the BrewingNetwork.com. to brew has never been so disgusting this is brew strong all right we're back we're answering questions about uh kettles and kettle related uh issues and we've got one question left all right this one's about steam jacketed kettles hey guys i've been a long time listener via podcasts and thanks to your advice, have enjoyed competition success. I have even been working as a pro brewer for a while in a contract brewery. During my time brewing large volumes, I have noticed that scaling recipes from home or pilot systems up to a full commercial batch size is not as simple as it sounds. How does commercial brew house design impact on tweaking and scaling up and down homebrew or pilot recipes from other systems? Uh, considering different commercial systems like Merlin or steam jacketed kettles will have different hop utilization and color impacts. Well, and see again, I think um, you know if you're doing something where you're using a calandria, uh, that can have an effect. Yeah, um, I think that again, I think you know just scaling up the volume of something does not affect it. Because the the type of reactions we're talking about are, um, you know, almost mechanical, right? It's um, it, it's it's well, it's, it's not like it's yeah. not like the reaction changes. Reaction changes by applying a different amount of heat or a yeah. different amount of uh, motion. That I think will affect it. But if 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 your if your temperature and your your gravity and your motion and the makeup of the wort and all that is exactly exactly the same, doesn't matter. You could scale it infinitely, and you should end up with exactly the same IBUs and same hop profile and everything. So I think um, when it's when you change that, let's say on your your uh, homebrew kettle, your direct fire with a a jet burner 
versus uh, you know a, a banjo burner versus um, you know steam oh, jacketed or, or yeah. a calandria or something like that. So there are a number of uh, you know especially today with all the small commercial breweries, um, a lot of them are direct fire. Um, you know it's not until you get up into the you know thirty barrel plus that it tends to go. Um, well, I mean, they tend to do direct fire up to about like 15 barrels and then past that they tend to go steam and at about 30 barrels, they tend to go to a Calandria or Merlin or one of those, you know, uh, internal, uh, boiler configurations or they'll do them external too. Uh, and, and, and on something where it's external, um, you're pumping it around, right? Uh, through the, through the calandria, external calandria, and back into the kettle. And that additional right. motion can have some effect as well. So, again, I, I don't think it's the size thing. I think that um, you need to look at the equipment, the type of equipment. What's the difference? What kind of heat are you applying? What kind of motion are you applying? What kind of evaporation rate are you getting? What kind of, uh, you know, when you're when you're talking about the mash, you know, what is the efficiency of, you know, one versus the other? What kind of extract are you getting? I mean, you should be able to do a quick test and, you know, just look at the mash from, you know, do the homebrew one right next to it and then hold up your, your, uh, your, your wort from the mash or collect some wort from the mash, save it up and then, you know, compare them side by side. You can put them in a, a spectrophotometer and you can get a color reading on both, um, but, uh, you know, is the color the same? If the color's not the same, yeah. well, then the flavor's probably not the same. Um, and, you know, you either need to back down or, or go up on your amount of ingredients. Yeah. Um, and then fermentation's a big one um, because, and here's one thing I did when we were doing the uh, Kenya Brewett shows was, I always tried to figure out the height of the fermenters that were being used at the commercial brewery and then uh, make an adjustment temperature-wise for the, the homebrew batch. So um, if a commercial brewery with a tall tank, we have 120-barrel tanks, um, and they're 22 feet tall or whatever, um, I would adjust down if if um if i was fermenting something at 68 well then i would probably as a home brewer maybe ferment it at 67 or 66 you know if i was i would give a degree or two uh one way or the other for the size of the fermenter uh, trying to manipulate the ester profile yeah because uh the the Increased yeah, static height. pressure versus temperature. Right. The increased height, and especially once uh, CO2 builds up yeah. in the in the, yeah. in the liquid. Um, I mean, initially, it's it's not as much, and you have the hydrostatic pressure. Those things impact the, the yeast and actually suppress uh, yeast uh, production of esters. Yeah. And uh, so that, I think, is one of the reasons that... Uh, I think you can get away with a little bit warmer temperature on on the commercial side, and so you need to shave that off a little bit on the on the homebrew side. Right. So, um, so that was another thing, and 
you need to be aware of, you know, how much yeast was pitched and, you know, what yeast it was, the water profiles, the the nutrients, things like that. So, right. especially on bigger beers, which you're finding a lot of homebrew, is that it hasn't attenuated out all the way um, because it, often they're not providing the proper nutrition. And so, uh, and then you get to a commercial scale where nutrition is... A, a big part of it for a lot of them and you know they will be adding zinc and things like that and they'll get a full attenuation and then the beer turns out higher alcohol much drier and so then all the other things like the amount of roast really starts popping out and um uh you know see, yeah. uh, the bittering <laughs> seems more prominent you know and, it, and it's like oh wow it's way more bitter that's because we scaled up and we you know we needed to change our you know hop additions it's like well no that is not necessarily why that happened it's based on something else it may be that they got you know better efficiency and got more of the the roast character out of the malts in a you know, some big imperial stout and so there's all these little factors around it and i don't think size is it i think it's everything else so you're not really saying there shouldn't be any change to the recipes at all right 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 it's this it's when you scale up the equipment also has to change with that just due to the nature right. of you getting way bigger exactly exactly yeah. so, and so you have to account different. for that and kind of mimic what would be happening on the homebrew scale exactly yeah. yep yep uh it's it's all these other little factors that really have nothing to do with size but are coming about because the equipment's changed. If you if you change your homebrew equipment, you take your homebrew recipe and you brew it on your friend's wooden sticks yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and buckets. Of course it'll be different. Or you brew it on your Brew Easy, mm-hmm. it's going to be two different beers probably. Yeah. Um, maybe not. It's a very, but yeah. It's a, that's a good analogy for, yeah, when you scale up and it's, diff, it's different equipment in right. the end. But uh, you want to make it as similar as you can. One fascinating thing for clubs to do is to have everybody brew exactly the same recipe and then taste the beers. And you'd be shocked at how different they are. And it tends to be, you know, small equipment differences, the way the brewer brews, you know, the way they ferment. Even on our commercial scale, and where we have very strict ways of doing things, and we're using the exact same ingredients, the exact same recipe, the person on the brew deck changes the beer. The person, yeah. you know, working the the uh, fermentation changes the beer. The person, you know, working packaging changes the beer. And so you got to be careful about these tiny little uh, tweaks that result in something downstream that's kind of significant. Mm. It's in the process, not the recipe. Right. So it's that's what I'm saying. The recipe is not the problem. That's not <laughs> that's not the issue. And scaling the recipe, just use simple math. Then make your tweaks based on, well, I know that th- we, we could expect this to, to attenuate. And a lot of commercial brewers, they'll look at a, a homebrew recipe and then they'll say, well, you know, what what was your attenuation? And, and you look at it and you're like, well, I know we're going to get like five points more. So we'll have to make an adjustment if you want this to end up that sweet or, you know, that area. And so that's it's it's those kinds of things, but I think there are some uh, you know homebrewers out there that are performing at such a high level that you know their recipes you know they can 
get pretty close to what they were doing before. Scale purely linearly. Yeah. Right. Very cool. I don't know. Um, Yeah. Anything else to add to that, John? About. uh, um, Uh, No, I I think that is that is a very good point. um, That the the scale you know scaling up a recipe is not just about um, scaling the ingredient amounts it's also taking into account the the difference in equipment and the, what the difference in equipment will make to the beer as a whole so yeah you may end up changing recipe amounts but it's going to be based on equipment differences more so than um, volume an mm-hmm. overall volume increase mm-hmm. a change in process versus yeah just the fact of changing the size yeah 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 yep very good all righty a good show i think uh yeah. thank you thank you all and thanks to the listeners thanks to our sponsors i think if you want to keep hearing shows like this you should check out uh, blickmanengineering.com and send a nice email to feedback at blickmanengineering.com and tell tell john how much you appreciated that he paid for the show you just listened to hi and you know he really doesn't want anything in return but i think it's nice to to say thank you to somebody when they uh, give you a gift and uh I consider the show quite the, <laughs> the gift. Yeah. Enough so that when John and I are homeless and we're, we're out on the street corner trying to give people beer advice, um, <laughs> maybe we'll miss this show, won't we? That's right. There yeah. We go. yeah. All right. Definitely will. And uh, you can also uh, check out the Brewing Network store. Go to thebrewingnetwork.com slash store. There's lots of goodies in there. Hats, hoods, uh, shirts, uh, hoodies, and all that other stuff. And when you buy that stuff, all the profit goes directly to the bottom line of the Brewing Network and helps pay for shows like this and all the others. Keeps us on air. So until then, everybody, brew strong. Brew strong, everyone. Brew strong, everyone.